her glittering palace on the shores of the Mediterranean at Alexandria, Queen Cleopatra, last of her line, could never rest. Her enemies needed to be defeated or converted into allies. No matter the threat from her own brothers or sisters or even Caesar, Cleopatra used every tool at her disposal to execute her plans. The last pharaoh of Egypt was a cunning, beguiling, and unstoppable force of nature. There's a woman who lived in ancient Egypt, and I probably don't have to say more than that for you to already guess her name. In terms of her reign, she was unbelievably powerful in the ancient world, but she's probably not listed among the greatest pharaohs of Egypt. Um, she happened to live at a time where lots of other famous people, some of whom we've covered in Blind History before, lived. But uh, we know her name, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are. If you can remember just one word, and that word becomes the embodiment of the history of an entire country or the story of one really unbelievably famous person, then I suppose you've done well. You know, Her name is Cleopatra, and I don't know how much you think you know about her, but every single time... I find out a new fact about her. I can't believe that all of this happened to one person in one lifetime. Anthony Meter is my co-host. You're listening to Blind History. We're into season five and we're covering a, a bunch of really exciting people. I know that you're a fan of Cleopatra's aunt because in your previous life as Julius Caesar, uh, you had uh, passionate sex with this woman. Correct. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So I really enjoyed my time and I remember it fondly. Cleopatra the seventh. That's right. She was the seventh of her name. Uh, her father was Ptolemy the twelfth. Her two brothers were Ptolemy the thirteenth and fourteenth. But we'll get to them in a second. An interesting family. She wasn't actually Egyptian. Um, she was like all the Ptolemaic pharaohs of Egypt. She was Greek. I think it's important to look back at that. So, during the time of Alexander the Great, one of his close friends and bodyguard and generals, uh, Ptolemy. Uh, who became Ptolemy the first, there were some people that said that, that it could also have been his half brother, which would be interesting then because Cleopatra would have a direct lineage to Alexander the Great. But upon Alexander's death, his generals divided up his conquests amongst themselves. And after, you know, there was a lot of battles, et cetera, et cetera, Ptolemy settled on the greater area around Egypt and Egypt itself. And that's basically, that started the Ptolemy dynasty. By that stage already, uh, the pharaohs the were long gone and Egypt was in turmoil. But yes, so they were actually Macedonian or Greek as we would know them. And they were very, very careful to keep that for the next 300 years. Um, there weren't cross marriages into the Egyptian side. And they stayed, actually stayed away from getting too involved in the culture of, of Egypt until Cleopatra the seventh time. Well, she was the first pharaoh of the Ptolemaic dynasty to learn Egyptian. She was the first Correct. one to speak and write in Egyptian. And um, there's some interest from that period. She was obviously up against her brother, who was also her husband. And maybe we should talk about that because you, you sort of glibly referred to it now, but they actually, incestuous marriages were an important part of the Ptolemaic dynasty. They, yeah, they that's what they did, into their own family. So 
You know, there's very little doubt that this did addle them down the line. Um, and, and Cleopatra was, you know, she was forced to marry her brother, first of all, because I suppose it kept them both in power and made a dispute between them less likely. He was eight years younger than her, or 10 years younger than her. Correct. Uh, and the big thing is they didn't mind killing each other. I mean, the Ptolemies, after Ptolemy the first, if it looked like they were going to get into a bit of trouble, they would just murder, poison uh, their brothers and their sisters. And even Cleopatra, for that matter, that did darken the reputation. She, she, she had her, her brother removed. She had her sister removed. So they really, there was no love lost amongst the family members of the Ptolemies. Yeah, but they, they also didn't mind producing heirs with their own family. So that's, that's yes. a whole other thing that we, we look on these days with horror. So she married but him. Gareth, maybe that's also something to do with that, the long nose that she had. Perhaps, uh, perhaps some other features as well. But she, <laughs> um, she certainly didn't have a lot of love for her siblings. And, and we'll talk about the sister in a little while. But her elder sister actually ruled before her. And then she and her brother took over. He was eight years old, I think, when they married. And she was already 18 by that stage. They had a younger sister called Arsino or Arsinoe. And um, really, for Egypt at the time, their biggest concern was being friendly with Rome. They had already had some kind of alliance with the well-known enemy of Caesar, Gnaeus Pompey, who had extracted taxes and food from Egypt. Egypt was important to Rome because they provided grain, bread, and they provided tax money. And Rome was important to Egypt because they provided a military security. And this relationship was difficult, but they managed it more or less. And, uh, you know, Pompey came along, he made some alliances in the right places, and he thought he had things more or less under control. He did realize Cleopatra was a bit of a problem, and she realized that she was likely not to be able to live very much longer unless she got out of there. And she fled to Syria, which was also part of, of Egypt at one point, and she hid out there for a little while. During this time, Pompey had fought Caesar at Pharsalus. He'd lost that battle, and he went to Egypt to rally his troops and to gather some money so that he could carry on fighting Caesar. Of course, when he landed in Alexandria, Cleopatra's little brother, who was a child, had his head cut off and thought this is a great way to make friends with Caesar. But Caesar didn't like that, did he? No, not at all. I mean, he was very upset. Look, uh, Pompey was, was one of his closest friends. And yes, they had a lot of battles in the past, but he was very, very upset. And that backfired on Ptolemy the 13th. As a curiosity, Caesar was also Pompey's son-in-law at that point. And he was very upset that this Egyptian upstart had decided to murder a Roman general, a Roman consul, no less. And so it backfired badly on Cleopatra's little brother. And so she saw an opportunity because Caesar was furious and they had been in communication. She was much older than her brother, probably a lot wiser than her brother. And she decided, uh, I can win this got on a boat, went back to Egypt, and met with Caesar. Supposedly, she presented herself to him rolled up in a carpet. That's history anyway. I mean, perhaps not factual history, but it's mythology now. And it's hard to tell the difference when you're talking about Cleopatra. And she presented herself in all of her glory to Caesar, who promptly fell in love with her. Yeah. Um, also, the, the, the love angle and how much Caesar and Mark Antony, for that matter, were in love with Cleopatra is also up for a debate, and it's also very much dependent on on whose book you're reading or which research has been done. But there was definitely 
Um, she had incredible charm. And I think, you know, Caesar felt he was dealing with an equal, courageous, intelligent, ambitious, like he was witty and beautiful. And then also the big thing is she had youth. And by then Caesar was in his forties. He'd obviously battled hard and been smacked around in the war. So he really felt close to her. And, and as you'd mentioned earlier, this was a lady that spoke 10 languages, including Latin, Hebrew and Syrian. So this was just something amazing that maybe he wasn't used to in Rome. She uh, took no chances, though. Um, her, her brother was found floating in the harbor in Alexandria, dead. Uh, ironically, just as she and Caesar had started their relationship. She and Caesar also obviously had a child, which uh, history seems to gloss over rather a lot. But he was called Caesarian, and he was projected to be pharaoh of Egypt and did co-rule with his mother for a while, but mysteriously disappeared after her death. And we're still not sure whether or not there are any living descendants of Caesar through Caesarian who just honestly disappeared into the sands of time. Some people say he fled into Libya. Some people say he went to live in Rome. There isn't really much evidence of what happened to him afterwards, but we know Caesar had no other legitimate children. So there wasn't any referral to Caesarian anywhere in, in his notes or, or in his readings with the people that picked up his notebooks and diaries and very little also about Cleopatra for that matter. You know, he left uh, everything to his, his nephew, Octavian. Mm. Well, I mean, at, at the stage he was, he was assassinated famously, and we've covered this in a previous episode. Cleopatra is actually living with him in Rome. Correct, in his villa on the Tiber, yeah. That's right. And she hightailed it the hell out of there as soon as she got wind of the fact that he'd been murdered, knowing that she was not popular in Rome. You know, she'd brought what they called Oriental, but what were Egyptian uh, qualities and culture to court, which Romans looked down on and considered beneath them. And she thought best to head to Egypt. And she grabbed her son and they fled to Egypt as quickly as they could. Of course, Rome at that point was torn apart because it was civil war, Mark Antony and Octavian against Brutus. And there was Lepidus on the one side and there was, uh, you know, all the other great Roman families involved in tussles about who would take over. It was a bit chaotic. And of course, Antony and Octavian eventually managed to assert themselves they had some kind of an alliance. That alliance broke down very quickly, um, but Antony was put in charge of the eastern provinces. And again, Cleopatra said, I've got to get in there. I've got to look after my kingdom. And she went to meet Antony. And she met him apparently very spectacularly. She arrived in a barge, which was covered in silver and gold and gemstones with cloth of gold around her. Uh, people rowing it majestically. You know, if you ever watched the Cleopatra movies with Elizabeth Taylor, the splendor of this woman in procession in these enormous barges, she must have been a real sight to see. That's exactly what she did. She was an actress. So she knew what to do and how to charm. And Mark Antony fell so easily. He went hook, line and sinker. And he was a powerful man and she needed him because uh, Gareth at the time, Egypt was the wealthiest country of the world at the time. And, and they used to get minerals and agricultural from the West Africa, from India. And they would then spread it to all the countries in the Mediterranean area. So they, they had a lot of money, they had a lot of gold. And she needed to protect that. And what she felt was with Caesar before he was assassinated and then with Mark Antony, she was backing the right horse. First and foremost, was for Egypt and then also for her family. And and a lot of people, you know, don't know that because she was a very competent queen. 
and pragmatic mother and very, very anxious to spread the birthright of her children. And then, you know, she was up against one serious propaganda machine with Cicero. He hated her. Cicero was, was in the Senate, famous lawyer, but he really hated Cleopatra and all she stood for. And Octavia as well, because that was a threat, because the only other living heir to Julius Caesar would have been Caesarea. So they spread this propaganda that she was uh, immoral. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very much political propaganda and character assassination. And she did have children with Mark Antony as well. It's worth mentioning Alexander Helios, Cleopatra Selene, and Ptolemy Philadelphus. And, and we don't know what happened to those children either. They're probably all murdered when Octavian eventually conquered Egypt. But I'm, I'm jumping ahead because by the time that we're describing, Octavian and Mark Antony were at loggerheads and they had the Battle of Actium from which Mark Antony fled something people say with you know, kind of like with a tail between his legs um, and went to Egypt and, and really just sunk into a depression. And they started smoking a lot of opium and they started indulging in, you know, all the, the, the orgies that, that we read about in history books. I mean, obviously a lot of this is dramatized because you know how legends come out of truth. And sometimes the truth is just not interesting enough. And people like to portray Cleopatra, particularly if they're fans of Roman history as being this evil temptress. And um, whether or not she was responsible or whether Mark Antony just declined after losing at the Battle of Actium, either way, they were in decline. And she had built a mausoleum for herself and for Antony, and they, they were doubtless in love with each other. And someone said to Antony, Cleopatra's killed herself. And this is almost like a Romeo and Juliet thing, because he took them at their word, and fell on his sword, thinking she was dead. She arrived on the scene, saw him dying, and could, was, was powerless to help. Um, I don't think he knew that she, had, she was still alive because he'd already died by that stage. But the most tragic love story, if nothing else. He died in her arms. They carried him to Cleopatra, um, but he, like you said, he wasn't conscious, and then he did die in her arms. Apparently, she begged Octavian that she might be permitted to mummify him. And when the request was granted, she had herself carried to the tomb and embracing the urn which held his, his ashes. She famously then was found in her palace by Octavian, um, who wanted to keep her alive and, and prevented her from committing suicide because he wanted to take her to Rome as, as a, a trophy. But she wanted to die on her own terms. I think she lived a life like that. And she never gave, you know, Octavian the, the upper hand. But she did try at first with Octavian because, you know, she, she'd been very successful with Julius Caesar. She'd been extremely successful with Marcus Antony. And she thought, hang on, let me try with Octavian. But she was dealing with a different person. I mean, as strategic as she was, he knew the end game. He was totally cold to her and, the, and none of her charms worked. And when she realized that, she knew she had to commit suicide because she did not want to be taken in chains to a triumph in Rome. And she did this by snake poison. Whether or not she brought the snake poison in in a basket in a vessel or whether she actually had an asp, which was a kind of Egyptian snake, bite her um, is, is conjectural. But we, we do know that she was a dramatic person and I don't doubt that she would have had a snake slither up her arm and bite her um, in, a, in a last defiant 
cry against Rome. But uh, definitely one of the most interesting women of the ancient world and someone who just was at this intersection of history where so many of the great people who were around at that time were familiar with each other and known to each other and spent huge amounts of time with each other, had children with each other, uh, an extraordinary woman by any account and, and a great ruler. 100% agreed. And you know, we often talk about Helen of Troy, whose beauty would have launched a thousand ships. But do we know if she was real? If there's one person that can rival her in beauty, fame and influence, it was Cleopatra. She was a very real figure. And I think as well, you know, there's often the remark about the the length of Cleopatra's nose. I mentioned it a bit earlier. It does an injustice because um, although she did attract men, it was really her her charm, her intelligence, her wit, and her, and her learning that brought such great generals, such as Julius Caesar and Mark Antony, uh, under her spell. Yeah, and, and if you look at, there is, I think, one portrait they found of her, an actual sculpture of her. She, classically, probably not the most beautiful woman, but her legend is, is so great that we now have this idea that there was this extraordinarily beautiful queen of Egypt. And the whole idea is so exciting and sexy that I suppose maybe here the mythology is greater than the truth. Probably. Wow, what a woman. Cleopatra the Seventh Philopater. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We still don't know where she and Antony are buried. Hey, their their tomb might be hidden in the desert west of Alexandria. There's a an Egyptologist called Kathleen Martinez who is digging around the Temple of Tapasiris Magna, and she says she may have found their tomb. They have found coins there. They've also found carvings, coins with Cleopatra on them, that show Mark Antony and Cleopatra in an embrace, and they they're looking to to see if they're but it it seems unlikely that Cleopatra was buried there and if she is she'll be buried with Antony so possibly his ashes her mummy in one tomb that would be a sure sign that you'd found the right thing 